You know what that music means? It's time for our man Tim Hassel. You ready? We're ready. Timmy, you ready? I'm ready. We had some really interesting calls today on the show. Tough questions to answer. What do you do with guys like Mariota and Winston when you're on this roller coaster ride with them where the highs are great and the lows are horrible? And it seems like you're always on a collision course for seven, eight, nine. You don't get past it, but you also could even, but you always seem to be in that, if we're playing the range game and the price is right, one was the number one pick overall, the other one was the number two pick overall. And they're both in their fifth season. And you've seen growth, but you've seen inconsistencies, and there's just no clear picture in sight. What do you do? Um... I think ultimately, right, let's just say this, because you're right. I mean, this past week for Marcus was amazing, you know, and the, you know, it was the previous week that, that certainly was not. And so you have to understand that, you know, every week isn't going to be incredible. Um, you know, even some of the best quarterbacks have weeks that aren't great. But, you know, if your roller coaster, you know, is, is you know, at the top, you know, and at the bottom, it seems like you're riding that wave, you know, every three to four weeks throughout a season. And then that's been the marker of, you know, your previous four seasons. Then I think ultimately when it comes time to make a decision on whether or not you're paying somebody to be your franchise quarterback, you know, long-term and you're committing, you know, north of $20 million dollars, in some cases, north of $30 million a year over at least a three- to four-year period, then I think what you need to do is, you know, be able to be in a situation that's where you have, you know, tried to draft and develop, and you maybe have a young guy, and let that go guy go find out what the market for him, for him is, you know, out there at the rest of the league. So. Yeah. I just I think you have to do that. It doesn't mean you don't re-sign him, but you you basically say, listen, you can go see if you have another starting spot out there, and if you don't, you know, then you sign him to a contract where, you know, he's maybe making sixteen million a year, and you you find a way out. Like in many ways, it's kind of the situation that you know Miami had with Ryan Tannehill. I mean, that's you know, and then and that's kind of you know, it's been how his career has gone. Yeah, because even in the good times, the problem with the inconsistencies is, as I said earlier, it feels like your ceiling is like eight or nine wins. That's your ceiling. So that's not great. That's good, but it's not great. And if that's your ceiling, then what are you doing, right? Because even with all the good games sprinkled in there with the bad games, if the end result is the ceiling, the best – case scenario is really eight or nine wins then what are you doing with that quarterback yeah and I think that um you know one of the things you have to identify is that you know not every team is going to have uh you know Drew Brees not every team's gonna have Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady I mean there's a few guys that you know, it's just clear and obvious, and every year it's just going to be the same. Like, as long as Patrick Mahomes is a starting quarterback, 
you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be pretty obvious and evident. You know, where it gets a little trickier, I believe, is, you know, you start, you know, coming down to like the, you know, the, the next tier of guys, you know, prior to even getting to, you know, the Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston. You know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's okay, well, Matthew Stafford or, um, you know, Deshaun Watson or, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, you know, guys like that, where you're saying, okay, you know, they're not the elite of the elite, but where are they? Are they in the, in the second tier? Are they in the third tier? Are they barely in the third tier? You know, like, like who is this guy? And then depending on where they're on the career, it obviously ends up being different. So, yeah, I, I think that to some degree, you know, you have a pretty good consensus on guys. Like when the Eagles gave, um, you know, a new contract to Carson Wentz and kind of jumped the gun on that a little bit, there were a few waves on like, wow, I'm surprised they did that. But by and large, I think people are like, yep, I get it. You know, I think we all agree that, you know, arrow is pointing up where, you know, you know, you don't get that same, you know, reaction out of people on Kirk Cousins, even though he's kind of, you know, done it for longer. Um, or the Raiders with Carr. Like Andy Dalton. Raiders with Carr, right? Yeah, 100%. And so, you know, I think people have to also recognize that, you know, there's probably a group, I don't know how many it is, maybe there's six guys where you're like, yep, okay, just book it. There's no question. Maybe there's eight. But, you know, then, okay, uh, you know, nine through 16, you know, you maybe don't feel as good, but you're like, you know, you know something, you're good enough to win a, a Super Bowl with that guy or go. I mean, Nick, look at Jared Goff. You know, Jared Goff, I don't think, is a guy that, like, you put on any team and all of a sudden he's, he's elevating the water. I mean, I just I don't think that that's the type of player he is, but he was playing in the Super Bowl that, not that long ago. And, and so sometimes you have to say, okay, like, well, what is the difference? Like, what's the real difference between Jared Goff and Andy Dalton? Like, is there that much of a difference between those two guys? One's, I mean, one team's got a better defense and a better running back. That's probably the biggest difference. And a smarter coach. Yeah. Really? Well, I, right? That's about it. I mean, I, I I think to some degree, you know, I think I probably, you know, would really agree with that. So, you know, that's the part that I think when you, you know, when you, you look at all of this, you know, stuff and you're trying to figure out, you know, you know who Marcus is, and obviously he's tied so closely to Winston, and you know, kind of who he is as a player. But you know, another one is going to be Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, I think there's a really good shot that the Bears are sitting in the same exact spot that the Titans are in terms of Mitchell Trubisky. You know, at at, at that stage of of his career, and it's hard because it's not like it's all been bad. There's been plenty of good. The problem is it's not the same type of good that the Seahawks have gotten out of Russell Wilson or, you know, even to, you know, an extent the what the Lions have gotten out of Matthew Stafford. Yeah, that's a really good point. So how do you explain what we watched in this Atlanta Falcons team with that firepower on offense, how they just seem so inept and how and inept meaning – when they get close to the red zone, it's it's almost like kryptonite. I mean, I, with 
with all those weapons, it's like the minute they get in scoring position, all you know what breaks loose. Yeah, I think sometimes when teams are struggling and have a history of struggling in certain situations, it just becomes a bigger deal, you know, and it and it, and it can be kind of a paralyzing force that, that snowballs because, you know, everybody knows it's a problem. Guys are overcoaching it, overthinking it, overdoing it. People are, you know, they, they don't um, – they just don't respond well to that environment because they've been in it enough where they haven't done well. And so – you know, there is no reason whatsoever when you have one of the best, you know, kind of, you know, receivers in the league that's big and strong and be great at, at jump balls and goal line fades. And then you have other guys that can work inside of him if he's getting extra attention. And, um, you know, you've got a good quarterback. You've got all that stuff. And by the way, your identity has, has been in the past, you know, a really strong element of, you know, being able to be physical and run the football, especially with their current back. And so, yeah, there's not a great excuse for it if you're the Atlanta Falcons. And, um, you know, I think the Titans do have a good and competitive defense. And, um, you know, I think they were a challenge for them. I think the bigger thing for Atlanta that has been shocking for me is that if they've gotten some guys back that were injured a year ago, I thought that they would be better because they have some good players on that side of the ball. And they used to be a team that was just loaded with speed on defense. And, you know, they just don't seem to be flying around with that same type of energy and speed that I remember them, you know, doing with just, honestly, two years ago. And, you know, that, that seems weird to me, and I think that is going to put, you know, Dan Quinn in a tough spot. Talking to Tim Hasselbeck, talking NFL football, as we do every Wednesday at high noon with him. Tim, what what were your thoughts about the Buffalo Bills after what, what they did mixing it up with uh, with the Patriots on Sunday, keeping it close. The defense looks really good. Yeah, I was impressed. The defense does look good. <clears throat> you know, a year ago, when we were sitting next to John Fox, who knows a lot about defense, and you know, you know, John Fox, and I don't think people realize this, is you know one of two coaches, um, or sorry, one of six coaches that have ever taken two separate teams to a Super Bowl, and. Um, you know, he just—he knows a lot of defense. I think he recognizes good defense when he sees it. And a year ago, he said to me, "He's like, what they are building in Buffalo on defense is really impressive." And I'm like, "Really? That's interesting." He's like, "If you just look at them, they are so ugly on offense, but they are competitive on defense." He's like, "If they can get it figured out on offense, they're going to be a legitimate contender." You know, and I'm thinking, "Wow, that's interesting." And you know, you just kind of fast forward to this year and you start to look at their competitiveness on defense and you know it he was right he called it like they are building that there and um and i think you know when you think about sean mcdermott as the head coach he's, he's got a defensive background he was around jim johnson the, the late you know eagles defensive coordinator who was you know, really kind of in some ways on par with Dick LeBeau in terms of some of the zone blitz stuff that was going on in the league at the time. So he's got that background, and he's got his background in Carolina, um, you know, as a defensive coordinator, um, you know, working for Ron Rivera, who, you know, obviously has a long history with some good defenses. And so I think that Sean is a good football coach who's done a good job with that. And then he also is not afraid to say, look, we're going to play ugly football and make it competitive 
And, you know, if they don't turn the football over the way that they did, you know, with this kind of some of the silly you know, Josh Allen interceptions, you know, that game is even more competitive. So um, I think they're close, and it's, it's really just a matter of getting the offense squared away. What is the difference in your mind between Josh Allen and Matt Barkley? Because it looks like it's going to be Barkley now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the difference is, the difference is like physically – you know, Josh Allen physically is incredible. He is a guy that can make throws that very few quarterbacks in the NFL can make. Um, you know, he's on he's on the you know the upper two percent of NFL quarterbacks in terms of physical talent. Big, strong. I mean, you know, if he wanted to, he probably could play tight end. I mean, he's just that physically gifted of a guy. But you know, and then you look at Matt Barkley. You know, Matt Barkley is a guy that almost was like a. Um, I don't want to say prodigy, but like he was, he was essentially raised and plays youth sports to like play quarterback. Like he didn't play other sports. You know, most of the time, like you get quarterbacks and you're like, yeah, this guy was a starting shortstop. He was a point guard on the basketball team. He's all this stuff. Like Matt Barkley just was playing football and, you know, he, he gets the USC and he beats out some other good passers and he does all that stuff. And so, you know, Matt Barkley's strength, because he's not nearly as physically talented as somebody like Josh Allen, is more about, you know, just distributing the ball, getting it out, um, and, you know, not being able to overpower you, but but making good decisions and being accurate. And in many ways, I think he's probably a less athletic version of Chase Daniel, who's going to get, you know, a similar opportunity, you know, replacing a guy that's way more physically talented than him, you know, at the Chicago Bears. So I, I just think that's, that's who Matt Barkley is. He's kind of your, your typical quarterback that has physical limitations, but I think can play well and, you know, really needs to be supported by good players. More with Tim Hasselback on the other side of Darren Donick and Chase. ESPN 1025, the game. Darren Donick and Chase coming at you here. ESPN 1025, the game. Talking football with Tim Hasselbeck. We continue our conversation. So, Tim, how do you think. The, the pass interference thing is working after one month of the season. The, the, the new thing. We've all had plays where we kind of raise our eyebrows and go, hmm. And we knew it was going to be like this if we, if we were being honest with ourselves. But, but how do you think the league feels about it? I don't know how they feel about it, but I, the way I think they should feel about it is I think they should be sick about it, quite honestly. It has... Um, it is being used in a way that is was clearly not intended for, right? And right. right. We all thought that that would happen, but um, you know, now that it's happening, it's like this. This wasn't what this was for. You know, they screwed up a huge call last year. They got it wrong. They missed a call in a critical moment, and it cost the team, you know, a trip to the Super Bowl. And and so they're like, all right. So now this this one play happened in a big moment, and we, we messed up and didn't get it right. So now we're going to change a rule. And the only way to change the rule is to kind of open up Pandora's box, basically, and now have these elements where, you know, on third and 15, where there's a little hand fighting, you know, guys are like, all right, here we go. Like, maybe there's a shot. I'm going to try this. And it's slowing down the game. I think it's been inconsistent in terms of, you know, how they have officiated it, you know, in the booth. And then you know, I think the other aspect of it is, and we've seen this from the NFL, is I think they've also kind of continued to 
change a little bit, you know, their um, definition of, you know, clear and obvious or, um, you know, if it's worthy of, of basically calling interference or not. <laughs> right. That, see, that to me mirrors exactly what happened with goaltender interference a few years ago when the NHL put it in. It evolves, right? The discussion internally evolves. The coaches on both sides are pushing and trying, you know, they're lobbying behind the scenes for what happened in their particular game. So it, there's just, it's natural that there's going to be this kind of discussion. And I don't know if we'll ever get it right. Don't you think, and Willie, don't you think like, because it's evolving without like anyone telling you that it's evolving, what that does is now it, I think it, it just, it's bad for the coaches that are going to throw a flag, a challenge flag, and lose because, like, they weren't told that it was like, yeah, our standard for calling that pass interference now has changed. Right. So, like, they're operating with bad information. And I think the other people that are as well are the fans. You know, the league has done a terrible job communicating to the fans of, you know, like how that's going to be handled which I don't think is good for the sport considering, you know, you're serving the fans. So I think it's done a bad job with that. One, one of the things that we marvel at, especially at this time of the year, is how much every week has a surprise or two. Like, who would have ever predicted that Tampa would go out and score 55 in L.A.? I did not bank on the Raiders going into Indy and winning. Carolina with their second-string quarterback fumbles three times and they still managed to beat Houston, and all of a sudden the division, everybody's 2-2. Two and two. But, that, but that, that is the NFL in a nutshell, right? I think it is. And you know, it's funny you say it because, like, you know, the thing that came up at you know, ESPN on uh, Monday, it was like, all right, what was the biggest surprise? And, you know, my initial reaction was the first game you mentioned because it was like, oh, well, shoot, I mean, 55 points out of Tampa and against the Rams? Like, you and then you're like, well, wait a minute. The Raiders just went in and stuck it to the Colts. The Texans could not have been worried. You know, so you're running on the list. And you're like, okay, uh, you know, I guess there were. And oh, by the way, like, you know, Chicago with Chase Daniel winning, you know, was pretty significant. And oh, by the way, Gardner Minshew, you know, keeps playing really well. And that's a big win against, you know, a team that's got a good defense. So, and you go back to Thursday. You think, look, the Packers lost to the Eagles, and the Eagles have been looking terrible. I mean, I, I this was a weekend of surprises. It really – and listen, the, the, tight, the way the Titans handled, uh, you know, the, the Falcons, I think that was a surprise. Or the way the Browns handled, you know, Baltimore. I mean, think about all those. I, I feel like they're all surprises, don't you? I mean, I just – I feel like that shouldn't be the, the case, but – I do think that's, you know, and you guys know this, like, you know, I'm calling some of these college football games now. I think that is the beauty of the NFL versus college football is, you know, in college football, a lot of times you're like, look, these players are better, and even if they struggle a little bit, they're going to end up pulling away. Like, I just did Florida State, NC State. Florida State has receivers that are just so much faster and better than the guys NC State has to cover. And so what happened was they beat them 31 to 13. That's just, that's what you do. Whereas, like, in pro football, you know, the, the talent level is a lot closer than people realize, and I think that's why you have the, you know, the, the games that are quote-unquote surprises. Tim Hasselbeck is here with us on Darren Donick and Chase, and 
I know you've you've probably seen this because it's been everywhere, but the uh, Deshaun Watson press conference and his exchange with Aaron Reese, a reporter for the Athletic, explaining the coverage that the Carolina Panthers, you know, had out there in in their loss. And I I respect Deshaun Watson a lot for how he explained this because the question, you know, came off as all right asking about coverage, and then I thought he was very detailed and how he gave the answer. And I know some people on Twitter have been like, well, he dunked on him, and Aaron Reese, the reporter, didn't feel that way. What did you make of Deshaun Watson's explanation of, of what led to their loss? Yeah, I mean, the truth of the matter is why they did not win this weekend is he missed throws that he should make. I mean, that, that is why they lost. So, you know, there's a, a post to Fuller that's wide open that he needs to hit. There's a post to Hopkins that's wide open that he needs to hit. And there were a few other plays that were gimmies that, that he should have had, and he was all out of sorts. So he played poorly. And so I think, like, in his most honest moment when he's answering that question, you know, he wasn't just trying to, you know, do Aaron Reese a, a solid and be like, hey, let, like, let me help you, you know, like, I, I would just um, – you know, I'm going I'm to tell you what happened, and this is what I was seeing. Like, I think there was an element of, like, look, I didn't play well. He was a little bit, um, like, was he trying to be a jerk? No, he's not trying to be a jerk. He was. I thought he, he was, was honest. To explain it. What's that? I thought he was honest. Yeah, I think he was. I think you're right. I think he was being honest. I think, you know, all that stuff. And I, and I think that, um, so I think I understand both the reactions to it. I think sometimes, you know, when a guy gets asked a question like, you know, hey, how come you guys didn't push the ball down the field at all? And, you know, and he and he didn't play well for him to be like, look, we, we had two opportunities. I didn't hit him. And then, you know, kind of the rest of the game, you know, we called some stuff and it wasn't there. Um, I think where people were a little bit um, – I think when he said to him, do you know the coverage? Do you know what the coverage was there? And then – I think there was enough awkwardness at that moment that Deshaun was like, all right, I need to make this. I need to ease the tension here. And he's like, no, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to show you up or I'm not trying to, I'm just saying, do you know what the coverage was there? And, you know, and then he gets into his description of quarters coverage and too deep. And um, so I, I don't think it was as, as innocent maybe as I think some people do. Now, do I think it was the worst thing in the world? No, I, I don't because I think sometimes the questions, um, you know, can be asked in a way where the guy's like, listen, you, you know, you're asking a question as if we didn't try to take shots. But if you were watching it, you know, from way up high, you saw that we were. And you would have seen that we were. And, and so I think he was frustrated. So, uh, you know, I think I maybe see it a little bit differently. Speaking of frustrated, Adam Thielen was, was frustrated uh, on Sunday and said, you have to be able to throw the ball, directed at his quarterback, Kirk Cousins. Cousins came out and, and said how he want, wanted to apologize to Thielen because there were missed opportunities that they, they couldn't get the ball to him. What do you make of that situation with Kirk Cousins and Adam Thielen? Yeah, I mean, I think Cousins is taking the high road on it. You know, it's certainly not something Thielen should do. Um, you know, it, it would never be acceptable for, you know, Kirk Cousins to be like, well, I mean, listen, you know, Dalvin can run the ball great. We know that. But, you know, when I throw the ball to a guy in the end zone and he drops it like you know I can't catch it for him you know what I mean like you yeah I I think sometimes you know if people think that you know Kirk Cousins is clearly not a not a favorite of people people think that he's overpaid they think he's he's overrated 
Um, and people think Adam Thielen's a really good player. It doesn't mean that, that calling out your quarterback or your teammate, you know, is the right thing. And so, you know, I think Kirk Cousins has taken the high road on it. And um, I think I also think there's an element of what, you know, Adam Thielen is saying that is, is also calling out his head coach and offensive coordinator. Because Mike Zimmer's been very clear about how much he wants to run the football, how little he wants to rely on, on throwing the football. And, um, you know, he's basically, you know, kind of countering, you know, what the head coach wants to be the identity of the football team. So Vontez Burfecht gets suspended for the rest of the year for being a repeat, 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 repeat offender. Uh, of course, John Gruden not happy about it. Derek Carr came to his defense. What do you think? Did the NFL get it right? Um, I probably have an unpopular view on this. I'm not sure that they did. I think that while this hit on Jack Doyle was really bad and certainly warranted a suspension, you know, I look at some of the other ones and um, especially on what the, um, you know, like what was acceptable and what was not acceptable on some of his previous ones. And I thought they were a little harsh on his previous ones. And so, you know, I think the culmination of these hits, and even though he hasn't really changed the way that he's played, and he should, and I think that he's in the wrong, you know, um, this, I guess, is this would amount to a 12-game suspension. Um, I just, I think you go back and you look at the first Antonio Brown hit, you know, he's a, a guy that's faster than him, who's, you know, coming across the field, and he gets his shoulder into his helmet, and um, you know, the Sherman one, uh, you know, against Kansas City is, is not great, but there was a lot of that stuff going on in the league at that time. And so I think because of that, this one's too harsh. Now, if they would have said six games, if they'd have, you know, then I'd probably feel differently about it. Um, and I'd say that, yeah, they got it right. Because I think ultimately what happens is he appeals this and um, I think it'll be reduced, even if it's reduced you know, two or three games. Um, I, I do think it'll be reduced. I could be wrong about that, but you know, this is this is unprecedented to say. You know, you're out for the entire year. That that one surprising. For but me. isn't this like Rasheed Wallace, who used to bellyache that? You know, other guys in the league do this, and they don't get technical fouls or they don't get thrown out of games, and it's like the league going, yeah, but we've got a whole file cabinet full of your stuff, yeah. and they we don't have yeah, a file I, cabinet I, on those guys. Yeah, and so like I guess that's where I am on it. Like, where, so what? This is the third one in how many years? Yeah, that playoff you know, game was a long time ago. I mean, in, especially in NFL years, right? Guys' careers have begun yeah. and ended since then. For a lot, in a lot of cases, hundreds of yeah. players have come and gone. I yes. I, I'll and give so I'll give you this, Tim. The, the in the NHL. Uh, in the collective bargaining agreement, there's something about 18 months. Like if you if you you don't get fined or something at that point, right? Yeah. It, it resets after eighteen months. So I, I, it I would wonder. Yeah, it should be that way, right? I mean, I would think so because I just know this. I know this just from from watching this, and I am all for protecting players, and I am all for it. But I see stuff happen all the time where you know a guy is running, and then he goes to give himself up because he kind of finds himself in a weird spot. And this defender that thought he was ready to, you know, take somebody on, 
you know, is now in a, you know, an awkward spot. And that certainly was not what happened to Perfect. I mean, Jack Doyle was down and he basically lined him up and, and, you know, and, and went right at him. Like he should be suspended for the hit. I would be clear about that. No question. If we're talking three hits over, I don't know what the, the span is, but yeah, I mean, it's years. So it, it's three hits in more than three years. So I guess when you look at it that way, you know, I just kind of feel like, yeah, don't you at some point, you know, like, again, suspend them, but like we suspend them for four games, you know, but suspend them for 12 plus it would be the postseason if, if they were to make it. I just I feel like that was going overboard. By the way, last thing, did you see Mahomes' scramble against Detroit on Sunday? Just to we- tell you how good he is at this age, it's kind of mind-blowing. He's rolling out, and as he's running to the right and scrambling with nobody in front of him, he turns around, looks at the referee, stares at him, makes sure that he hasn't thrown a flag for holding, and then once he realizes nothing's been thrown, no flags have been thrown, he takes off and goes for like 20, 25 yards downfield. Like how the awareness of that, like how incredible is that at that age? Well, it's incredible at any age. I actually believe I, I haven't. Did he say that he was looking for a flag? Uh, no, I don't. Th- I don't think he has okay. said that publicly. So I actually think what he was doing was even more impressive. I think that as he was rolling out to his right, think how many times you've seen quarterbacks roll out to their right, and as they roll out to the right, the guy, the defensive end from the other side, you know, continues to run the hoop and and then you know chasing you down from behind, or if you climb up and escape to the right. You know, that defensive end goes and retraces his steps and he gets the quarterback from behind. I think that there was like color that flashed to it. And I think he was looking back to see if there was a defensive end kind of retracing his step or having run the hoop. I think that's what he was looking at, hmm. which, which is incredible because think of how many quarterbacks, which you mentioned Kyle Allen and his fumbles this weekend. Part of the reason about fumbles is he was doing exactly what Mahomes was doing, but he had no awareness that there was a guy behind him, you know. And um, he's incredible. And he has another scramble in that game on fourth and eight, where you know it, it, it's the you know deciding point in the football game, fourth and eight, and he looks so relaxed and he scrambles for the first down. It's like, yep, like what'd you guys think I was going to do, you know? Oh, the the draw play for the game-winning touchdown, watch his eyes. Look what he does with his head. Detroit totally bites on it, and that's why they didn't cram up the middle because they bit that he was going to fake the handoff and throw it. Instead, it was a draw play right up the gut, game-winning touchdown, game over. Yeah, he's he's been amazing. He really has been amazing. He's so talented. I think he's fortunate to be really well coached, but his poise, um, in some of these situations has, I mean, it's shocked me. I, I can't say that I, I had any anticipation that he would be this poised, um, especially as these expectations for him continue to grow. How were we not talking about Mahomes? You know, now that we've seen this, how was he not the number one pick? And I didn't realize Kansas City identified something. They moved up to get him, but, I mean, he was in the middle of the first round. Like, how but, did he kind of escape? You, I would tell you, his his film at Texas Tech does not look like this. That's why I think he's fortunate to be coached by Andy Reid because hmm. his film didn't look like this. He was so raw 
and he made a lot of decisions that didn't make any sense. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, there. It's not like the film at Texas Tech looked like what you're looking at now. It, it most certainly didn't. And obviously, it was a very different offense. Good stuff as always, Tim. Have a great week. We'll do it again next week. Cool. Thanks. See you guys. Tim Hasselbeck, ESPN's expert NFL analyst, and, of course, the same for us every Wednesday at noon. More of Darren, Donnick, and Chase on the other side. Saw a pretty cool little exchange with Bob Kravitz, who we've had on the show many, 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 many times over the years. He's been covering the Colts for a long time up in Indy. And Tony Dungy. So Bob Kravitz tweets this out. Of all the dumb, misguided stuff I've ever written, writing that Tony Dungy's first book was just, meh, was the dumbest. Think it was on the New York Times bestseller list for a million weeks. Tony Dungy responds. He says, I don't think so, Bob. I'd vote for 2004 when you wrote that Jim Irsay was crazy to give me an extension after we were 34-14 and 14 and had three playoff appearances in three years because we were, quote, we really hadn't done anything yet. I'd had my share of those, too. But I guess I did kick off to Devin Hester, so I guess a little joke there. But... <laughs> Tony Dungy having a little fun at Bob's expense. And actually, you've probably said dumber things. Like, they should get rid of me when I was having a lot of success. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, when they got rid of Tony, uh, Jim Caldwell was the benefactor of Tony Dungy's work, and they got to go to the Super Bowl with that roster. I'm a big fan of Tony Dungy. Yeah. I've enjoyed his work on NBC. And I especially like now that Mike Tirico is – not that Dan Patrick did a bad job, but I think Mike Tirico really fits that, and they've added Chris Sims as a part of it too. So I noticed that. Yeah, he's he's been doing it more this year, and along with Florio. So they do some pro football talk. Well, segments. I noticed that uh, their pro football, talk, uh, pro football talk morning show on NBC Sports Network, who's – Ben Florio and Sims. Yeah, I've noticed they've added Peter King. Yeah, he's been doing it some. Been I've noticed he's been on there a lot. Yep. Is yeah. he still doing the Sunday night stuff too? I don't know. I don't feel like I I've seen say, him. I don't as feel much. like I've seen him either. That's I think, why I was I'll be honest. I have not watched any. Of the I think Florio pre-game. not the pregame. Really? Yeah. I'm not into pregame shows. Oh, it's fantastic. It's really good. Football Night in America? Yeah. I, I watch it. If you want to know what's going on around oh, the league I, that I'm day, I'm not saying it's bad. Show. I'm just saying I, I watch a lot of the games. I just can't sit there and watch for 12 straight a hours. Lot of, a lot of times, though, like I'm there's games still going when they start their show. So right. it's usually 6.30, 6.45 before I flip over. Because like if I'm watching Fox, I, I do like their post game. So I'll, I'll stick around and watch a little bit of Fox, and then I flip over and I'll watch. Hmm. Football night in America. But. I think it's really good. I think they hit on a lot of, a lot of good stuff. They have a lot of opinions. Mm-hmm. Rodney Harrison is certainly no stranger to opinions. Uh, he's sometimes he's a little crazy. He's got he's got opinions. Yeah. Some sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not. Agreed. But at least he's going to say. I mean, he's going to say yeah. something that makes you go. Hmm. And I think that Dungy does a really good job of being the voice of reason. And he and he basically will look at Rodney and say you're you're you're, you're wrong, but in a nice way. Yeah. Like that's kind of a dumb take, but yeah, you know that that's kind of how he is. And then Sims has added added a lot. So mm-hmm. I remember, I mean, I remember when Chris Sims, of course, was here with the Titans, but 
um, had just kind of started with Bleacher Report and things like that. Now he's worked his way up, and he's I, worked I think his he way did, up pretty. He fast. does a fine job. He does a fine job. So the Bengals have put their wide receiver John Ross on IR. Just yet again, another guy on my roster. Correct me if I'm wrong. That was, happened right at the end of the scrub time. Yep, that happened yeah. at garbage time, yep. the end of the game. It was 24-3 to three or whatever the final score was, and they were just trying to do something. That's a bummer. Uh, what a a bummer. first round pick, a high first round pick by the Bengals from Washington. And to this point, coming into this year, had not lived up to anything, had really done nothing. And really, it started to break out this year. and was starting to, I was like, okay. See, well, he's having a really good year, good start to the season, and now he's hurt. Roquan Smith Smith of the Bears is still out with personal issues. He did not suit up and play in their victory over the Vikings and still not getting a whole lot uh, on that front as they get geared up to go play in London, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess uh, he's coming back, though. But it was kind of a weird. We've seen it. Have you yeah. noticed there's been a lot of personal issues with the Bufflin thing and with the Jets and then yeah. Roquan Smith and and there's, there's not a lot of details. It's just like just out with personal reasons or whatever. So, right. did you guys see this story that uh, a running back named Fournette is calling in a career? The younger brother, not, not uh, named Leonard. Leonard, I guess is how you say his name. It's Leonard. Leonard. Thank you. Lannard. There might be a Lannard. Lannard in the pipeline, too. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Lennard, who has been at LSU, the younger brother of Leonard, is uh, leaving the team. He said, quote, just want to move on with my life. Okay. So well. he is. he's leaving. He's had 162 yards on 31 carries and two touchdowns in four seasons. So. I since I've just got a couple of uh, and I probably should save this for after CMAs, but I won't, let's just well actually you know we can we can wrap up the hour with this we've done a lot of football I've got the over under on wins and points actually it's points for hockey teams and I've also got the youngest teams in the NHL this year we'll see how you guys okay. do with that so point totals according to the sports books. So we'll take a little stab at the Preds and the division. I like it. And uh, we'll also see if you guys can identify the youngest teams in the league. We'll do that to close out the third hour of the show. But first, Willie, you've got a word about the fine folks at Lee Company. All right, let me tell you about Lee Company. 567-1000 is the phone number to call. And they're back again for another great season of Nashville Predators Hockey. They've been a big sponsor of the team for a good while now. You'll see their display at Bridgestone Arena when you get to go down to Smashville starting tomorrow night. Look for it when you walk around the building and think about getting involved in the home maintenance plan because it's a great way to take a lot of the pressure on yourself off to stay on top of things in your house, and I'm certainly in this category. You'll get the call from them as part of the home maintenance plan. You pay a small monthly fee, and in exchange for that, you get the four checkups every year on your key systems electrical your plumbing your heating and your cooling and yes eventually it won't be 99 degrees out there and you'll have to get your heater checked in the coming months this is the time of year you'll get that phone call from them five six seven one thousand or leecompany.com lee company remember let their decades of expertise go to work for you 
Chris Mason just around the corner. See Mace at one o'clock. That's when we check in with him every week. Talk a little hockey with him, but we can do that right now as the Predators get geared up for their regular season tomorrow. We'll be over at Bridgestone Arena. Actually, we'll be our new home will be at Pete and Terry's Tavern. We're excited about that. We did that in preseason. We'll be back at it starting tomorrow in the tavern. First four games at home. NHL kicks off their season tonight. So let's start with the five youngest teams in the league before we get to sports books and their totals for points for teams. So who do you guys think is the youngest team in the league with an average age of 25.7 years? The youngest team in the league. I will go with the Ottawa Senators. The Ottawa Senators, says Willie. That's Chaser. That's what I was going to say. Is Ottawa. That would be a bad guess. You should have guessed uh, something else. Well, hang on. I'm not done yet. But you Arizona. Just Ottawa. Arizona. Okay, two very good guesses, right? And they are both incorrect. Not even in the top five. Mac, does, Neither Mac, one of them in the top five. Neither in the top five. Um. How about the Vancouver Canucks? Vancouver also Canucks. Also a very good guess. Do you have uh, another There's guess? There's no such thing as a bad guess. Mm. Mm. Um, well, actually it is because it's not in the top five. So may I venture a wager? Go ahead, no. gentlemen. Florida ahead. Panthers? Florida Panthers. Well, you guys are striking out. All wrong, Look, I, the, incorrect We answers. named like all the teams. I know. But they're all very good guesses. Edmonton? But not in the top five. Another really bad guess. Yeah, not in the top five. <laughs> We give up. Seattle. <laughs> well, consider we don't know what their average age is because we don't it's know zero. the roster. That's what it is. It's no, zero. It's not. You have to have something above zero. They have to exist. So that's an incorrect answer. Buffalo. Buffalo. Once again, that is a really bad answer. Yeah. Not in the top five. I, I give up. I, I, I'm done. I'm over. New I, Jersey? I, yes. yes. The New Jersey Devils? I have, you guys, over. That's the first time I have ever offered you on about the twelve dev- guesses. No, no, you're going to you're going to tell me if the Devils is right. The Devils is wrong. Not okay. in the top five. No, they they got older with uh, Subban and yeah. Simmons, so they they mm-hmm. they're sprinkling in the veterans now. That the Rangers finally okay finally we get on the board. I mean, you only had like six more teams. I was going to so say, you guys are, I mean, you're bound to get them. The Columbus Blue Jackets this is are one the of youngest team in the league. We've already Columbus, uh, yeah. We've already kind of flunked the test, so even if we get some answers right, it's still going to be think about it. Yeah, they do the trade deadline, and then what they do? They lose. They They lose lose all the guys that they traded for. By the way, some of those players are still really good. Some of those young players, like Pierre Luc Dubois and Lorenzo and Jones, yeah, they're the youngest team in the league. But they're still. I like. So where are the Rangers on that list? Rangers are third. Okay, so we need second, two, four, and five. Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, I was just Which about to might, say them. Actually, though, it might be skewed because yeah. they still have some older no. guys on the roster that kind of the move Kings, up, but they no, will have a old, ton. No, no, the old. Kings still have a lot of mix of old guys. Both of those teams are trying to get younger, and they'll have a lot of young players, but they're still those Cal- those veterans those are still would on have been the roster. Correct within a different category. Calgary, old and slow teams. They would be on the list. Well, you'll see. It's it's changing. Calgary is incorrect. Well, this has been a winner. This I has been an absolute we bombed. winner. I'm not we good. Just, get, just name the teams. We can Columbus. move on. Let's cut our losses. I know, but this is fantastic. Come on. 
I love this. Stop letting us drown. Out I don't. Here. I don't sit around <laughs> and go. Around. How old is the captain for the Ottawa Senators? Hmm. How old is this guy for the San Jose Sharks? I don't do that. Well, Joe Thornton looks like he's, he's ninety. Seventy-five. <laughs> the beard makes him look nice. Columbus is the youngest, followed by Carolina. Bunch of jerks. Okay. Rangers, Toronto, and the Avalanche. Okay. There you go. All right. Sports books. Points for the regular season. Point totals. Let's start with the Predators. Where do you think the books have the over-under point total for the Preds? 98. 98 points, says Chase. Uh, that's, that's a good spot. I will say just because of the balance of the West, I will say closer to 96.5. You guys are all over it. It's actually 97.5. Oh, Murphy's That's Burrow. what we are yeah, in Murphy's 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 Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the Predators are in Murfreesboro. 97.5. 97.5. Okay. Let's look at the other division teams. Let's start with the Minnesota Wild, the first opponent. Seven. What is Minnesota's point total over under, according Se- to the sports books? 70. Willie, 70 is what Chase says. I'll say 73, 74. 87. Mm. See, that's interesting. Kevin Allen went as low as he did. That I kind know. of He had him me. in the 60s. Yeah. Right. See, that's, I, why I, that's why I said 60, 70. Didn't he have him in like 68? 68, yeah. Oh, 87 points? Mm. 87 to me is a little high, but I. you look at their roster, there's still a lot of those same guys that they've been – Playing with, but you'd a have to erosion, admit, if we're they're... betting it, we're taking the under, right? You're taking the under. You're not taking the over. You're not taking over 87. No. Taking Can't imagine. I'm taking the under. Okay. How about the Dallas Stars? Which, by the way, I was looking at their morning skate, their first line. Ben, Sagan, Pavelski. Yikes. I will say they are around where the Preds are, so I'll... I'll say 96. 96.5. Okay. Avalanche, 97.5. So they have the same point total as the Preds, which is interesting because Colorado seems to be the slight favorite. Most people have been picking them to win the division. The Blackhawks are 90.5. That's a little high, uh, I think. Yeah. But... I don't plausible, know. very I don't plausible. Know. It, it, that ninety point five is a little steep, higher than I, I would have thought. A little steep. Nah. I would have had them more be in better. that eighty seven range. Yeah. That you had the wild. I would have had the wild more like eighty four, eighty five. Even though I said seventy, I think a lot depends on their goaltending. If they get some solid goaltending, they might be a little better than people. Think. And they have more uh, ways that they can get good goaltending. I think this year they're not totally relying on Crawford. Crawford still might have. Yeah. A good season in him, and then that, Leonard, Leonard, Robert yeah. Leonard is—you know what he did last year. And finally, Winnipeg. I would say my answer would have been different a week ago. I would say ninety-one. Ooh, I'm gonna say ninety-five, ninety-four point five, hmm. ninety-four point five. Not penalizing them as much as yeah. uh, well. I it, it has gone down. It was yeah. ninety-five. It opened up at 95.5. It's gone, gone down. down to 94.5. What about St. Louis? So there you go. Uh, oh, yeah. I forgot about uh, the, you know, the defending, defending cup champions. Cup champs. 
St. Louis is 96 and a half. That's how about that. They basically got everybody yeah. right there. It's a big, big jumbled, jumbled mess. It's a, it's a big, it's a deep division. In other words, throw, throw darts. It's exactly. going to be hard. And that, that you got to keep these expectations together throughout the course. It's going to be hard to get 110, 115 points like the team did for any of those teams to run away and hide. You would think Tampa Bay lightning, of course, had the highest point total. One Oh eight point five. Yikes. Come back with Seabase to kick off the fourth and final hour. That's next.